everyone. It's Jordan, and I'm joined by Jake and Austin. Booty ho. How's it going, everyone? And today we're going to talk about something I'm sure everybody's got on the mind right now, and that's the U.S. election, the uh, post-election, if you will. And um, <clears throat> we're going to dive into some interesting facts, trends, and uh, talk a little bit about the uh, the win itself, kind of what we were thinking about it, and um, the uh, hit some aspects of the ongoing legal battles coming from the uh, Trump and Biden campaigns regarding uh, the vote counts. So let's get started. And with a with an initial question I've got for you guys um, regarding the turnout and the actual parties, if you will, involved in the actual process. So we had a historic turnout in terms of votes cast for candidates with Biden getting over 74 million as of the last check that I saw and Trump exceeding 70 million. And I'm curious to think what that might mean. So, and I'm curious to know what you guys think as well about well, the actual, Biden won. well, yeah, he definitely he, won the He got the most vote. votes. Yay. Definitely won that popular vote. And uh, it's safe to say he has also won the electoral college, but I'm curious to know why you guys think so many people turned out because while we don't have the final count and we won't have the final count for a little bit in terms of what the actual total is going to be, we haven't really seen a lot of turnout like this since 2008 with Obama's first election. So I'm very interested to know why you guys might think that the turnout is out and I've got my own thoughts uh, as well. Let's start out. I think uh, Trump went um, full special to quote a movie. Which uh, movie is that? Can you clear that up for me real quick? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tropic Thunder. Oh, okay, okay. He went uh, full retard. Never go that. But, uh, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like how it... Almost like he did a 180 as compared to how he presented himself... Uh, back when he was running the first time around, I think it just backfired tremendously on him and it just pushed more people away than it actually brought to him Unlike the last time, at least when it came to who he was going up against as an opponent. I think that's my biggest frustration at this point is I'm not surprised. Like this, the building blocks were in place leading up to the election. We knew the path that he took currently was the one he was going to go on after everything became finalized. Um, he basically set it up to go down this path, whether or not he thought he was going to lose or if he was just doing it as a backup um, in case he lost and he had confidence that he could have won. But the whole illegitimacy aspect I think it's just so frustrating to me especially when every single claim every single news source even his own colleagues over at Fox News are saying hey this is over we're calling the election everything's in favor, favor of Biden and he still wants to say that oh it's all the liberal media that's leaning towards Biden um, it's just super frustrating to people that partake in the process and I think it's counterproductive and I'm 
fearful of what the next few months are going to be as far as executive orders. We already saw that he fired his defense secretary, stuff like that. More stuff that I'm sure we'll get into throughout this episode, but uh, I'm just fearful of what's to come as far as the process, how it shakes out. Do you think he, he couldn't stop? Like, like, I guess his ego got too big to where he thought, oh, I, I can't, like, I can't exp- or I can't like fa- I can't change my opinion anymore. I had to stick with what I am, and I know I'm gonna win regardless. I think he's tr- definitely trying to flex it and force it. Um, I can see him, based on who he is friends with in the political realm in the world, I can see him trying to change things into his favor and take control. So I mean, I like I said, I'm not surprised that we're in the situation that we're in. It's just it's frustrating. So, going along with the results of the election, we also had some Senate and House seats that were up for grabs, too. So, uh, I think it's important to include that aspect, not just the presidential election, but also what it means for, I mean, politics in general in the country, as well as what what it kind of showed. Like, uh, we know that Pelosi was expecting a blue wave to come through, right? It's looking like the uh, Republicans are going to hold on to the Senate. It's not clear yet. looks like Georgia still has a runoff race that they have to get but not if we, out. Not if we stop the counting like Trump wanted to do, because screw, <laughs> screw the down-ballot <laughs> right. votes. Nobody right. cares about stop the down-ballot. Stop the counts right now when we're having our red mirage so that, Please. you know, the— uh, the mail-in ballots that almost always uh, favor Democratic candidates don't get counted, right? Um, yeah, and that, that's a strategy we can get into as well. But I'm curious what you guys think about the the House aspect of it, right? So, like, the executive, I think, with coronavirus and based on the issue split on coronavirus, it seemed like that was really the big kick in the pants uh, that gave Joe Biden the slim advantage that he had because – Make no mistake, though, he did beat Trump by over 4 million votes, uh, which is a a pretty resounding win. Um, In the Electoral College, he did much more poorly than the lowest expectations for him based on the polling. So Trump still exceeded the polls, for those of you who might be interested to know that. He also exceeded with every single demographic except for primarily white men and suburban voters, suburban white voters specifically. He had more minority voters in every category. He had more women voters. Um, he won a substantial lead in Florida and ended up mostly winning the state because of a lot of support from Hispanic voters there as well. And I'm curious to hear the opinions you guys have on why why the why the house why the um the senate didn't have this resounding blue turnover in this election that a lot of democrats were expecting didn't know if you guys had uh any personal insights as to why that might be i haven't dove that deep down ballot into everything um but i would say i think the way it turned out was ultimately because there's a lot of Republicans on the side of things that lost faith in Trump and his handling. Like you said, there's been disagreements about the way he's portrayed the whole thing, about his handling the coronavirus and other things of that nature that ultimately they ended up going blue 
on the top of the ticket, but then you still had that Republican bias and that a public or that Republican party affiliation down the rest of the ballot. So, I mean, he still, those voters were still moved to go out and do things. They just leaned at the top rather than down the entire political scale. Um, it's rather dip a toe more than just jumping full blue. So I think that's where a lot of it comes into is I think he ultimately lost just the support of his party um, at the presidential level. So you would still see all those voters go for the House and the Senate votes on based on a Republican basis. I haven't really followed much of, uh, I guess, the views on this point. So I'm uh, relying more on you two at the moment. It's fair. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like there's a still ongoing backlash towards the Democratic Party that their leadership is really out of touch with and really underestimates, right? I think um, <clears throat> for Pelosi to gamble something like an additional stimulus bill on the election Dangerous. Uh, cost her greatly. Dangerous. Now, yep. when did she do that? Because I, I heard something about that possibly that's, like a month or two ago. That's been but since I, the expiration just... of the previous okay. stimulus package. To okay. The end of July, um, I think it was. Right. Okay, yeah, so it were... has been going, but it just... I, I heard that there were like right. possibly a couple of weeks before the election, a decision would have been made or something along those lines. But that's where she was trying to was leverage was saying, Hey, like they almost made it and they didn't. So they were saying, Hey, you need to lean this way so that we can get you the support. Kind of thing. Uh, she hedged her bets on getting a larger stimulus package through that includes, let's call it a mix of things that would be both beneficial to people but also more beneficial to wasn't her package more for yeah wasn't her package like it wasn't as much money for us but it was more for the actual businesses well that to be to be completely fair that was also the first package that passed right with with cares and heroes the two the two major things we're discussing here the massive overhaul benefit went to and that's not to say that the six hundred dollar um extra extension with um unemployment wasn't much needed by a lot of people i know a lot of people personally who lost their jobs uh and definitely needed that money but that expired as well we faced a lot of furloughs in the sports industry and if it wasn't for that i would have known so many people that would have been basically out of home and not take, able to take care of their family. So that really bumped them up to basically living wage. Um, didn't by any means meet their current paycheck, but it went a long way to supporting um, at least some sort of quality of life. Right. That's weird because I know a lot of people that are on furloughs that uh, they were actually making more because right. of it. And I obvious, and I, some of them, they, they were smart with it. They used it to pay off some debts that they had. While others, they just frugally, or yeah, they just they spent it willy nilly. They just didn't care. I mean, hey, you're you're getting almost double of what you're normally making per week. Wow, tax. Wasn't it like tax free too for those?
Well, if it was, then I mean, hey, they got more money. Well, from oh, my sorry, yeah, I didn't, I didn't my, realize you were asking a question. Yeah, from my understanding, sorry, sorry. Where a lot of the loss was, I think, at least for my colleagues, like we got the stimulus and we had the unemployment, but if they were out of work or whatever, like they had to make up their health insurance payments on the back end of that, and that's oh, okay. something that wasn't getting taxed or taken out of their paycheck originally. Um, so really, the net of it about equaled out um but on the front hand yeah like you weren't having the deductions to your 401k or any of your like um your um wow can't believe i just forgot the name of that um but your health insurance and stuff so like your your premiums for that or dental or anything like that wasn't getting taken out so they had to make those up when they came back to employment at least through my employer i don't know how that shook out for everybody else gotcha Right. And we also have to take into account, too, the degree of workers that got furlough, that lost their jobs, um, or that had different levels of the coverages that they were getting on furloughs, right? So we had a lot of people in retail uh, as well that uh, essentially had jobs put on hold, but didn't really have benefits that they were getting in the first place, right? So talking about a lot of people who weren't making any kind of money didn't have benefits in the first place that we're starting to see some extra income come in as well um the majority of people i know that lost their jobs uh were still getting overall uh less than what they had before uh, a lot of them worked in tech uh and other industries where they were making pretty decent salaries beforehand so the uh, the amount of income they were seeing from this was a decrease but it was still enough for them to get by uh, on a lot of the stuff that they need to get by on, and a lot of them would not have been able to uh, make payments for a lot of things they needed to make payments for, debts and uh, utilities and um, uh, groceries and such like that, that they wouldn't have been able to afford uh, without that stuff. So it was it was useful. Um, <clears throat> there was an uh, additional uh, proposal of extension Going back to August, that fell through, uh, and then we've had nothing since. It's been pretty much gridlocked, uh, and you know, my my understanding is that um, I obviously don't know uh, the Democratic leadership personally. I don't know Pelosi personally, but if I had to guess, uh, <clears throat> she looked at any type of stimulus as passing, any type of deal, any type of outlying factor that would have led to people getting some kind of positive result would have looked too good for the president to possibly allow it to go through. So I think the strategy she employed was, hey, we're going to put through this request for this large, large bill that we know Republicans won't possibly agree to. And the idea is to make it look like the holdup is on McConnell's end, right? On Republican side, where you're saying, look, we're trying. We want all this stuff for you guys, and they won't do it. I think I think there's an assumption that people are stupid, right? And they're just going to look at, oh, well, she's proposing $2 trillion versus their $1 trillion. It must be better for all of us, more money for us, right? Well, it's like when you look at the original <laughs> plan that was passed, um, that's not necessarily the case, right? I mean, the stock market got a huge bailout. A lot of companies that really should have been saving a lot of surpluses and uh, uh, massive profits that they've had, um, kind of looking at you, airline industry, uh, as well as some others year over year over year for a long time now. Um, 
got huge bailouts and you got to wonder like where did a lot of this money go how much of that got lined into people's pockets where it should have been uh spent on things that it shouldn't have been and obviously i'd like to take a deeper look into those types of things as well but a lot of the benefit i mean you're talking about a 1200 hundred dollar check was the greatest benefit that most people saw as a one-time payment there's a lot of people who are still facing the fact that they might lose their homes when january hits there's a lot of people who are looking at their student loan payments and worrying about what's going to happen with the level of debt that's going to hit them when their federal loans go back online and they have to start paying for those again um <clears throat> and that's including people who are on income-based repayment plans right so there's a lot of worry amongst a lot of people about what's already happening but about what's about to happen not to mention the fact that when you look at biden voters a substantial number of them uh, i believe it was 84 percent, if i'm quoting pew research correctly uh actually con considered coronavirus to be a huge issue for them um Trump voters, it was a substantially lower amount, I believe, in the single digits, around 9%. Um, but that's that brings us to kind of the next part that interests me and I think is a good question to ask. Looking at this race, and specifically not talking about Democrats and Republicans, but Biden and Trump voters specifically. So we're talking about the subsets of the Democratic Party that are hardcore Biden and the subsets that are hardcore Trump. How much do you guys think, and there's a little bit of research on this, but before we kind of get into it, how much do you guys think that polarization has gotten worse and played a substantial role in the amount of voter turnout that we had? I think it might be beneficial for both mine and Austin's take, um, if you kind of elaborate on what you mean by polarization. So party polarization, essentially, it's like um, it's an extreme. Most people fall into or classically have fallen into the moderate category, right, of independent voters, where they kind of sit in the middle, more or less on the fence, and they kind of reach onto both sides of that fence depending on different issues that are important to them right so like classically um healthcare has been more of a pro democratic left issue right providing more healthcare to people um something like uh gun rights and the second amendment and preserving that as it is currently known would be something uh more static to people who lean to the right or are on the right right so over time we've had an increase in the amount of people who are leaving that middle ground fence and are instead picking sides i'm either left or i'm right i'm republican or i'm democrat rather than i'm a moderate or i'm independent um there's a and even among independents there's been more of a shift in the overall political climate where you're seeing kind of like a mass in the middle begin to turn into the shrink uh, just this really shrinking mass as the two opposing sides masses continue to get larger. So really it's, it's, it's a growth in people who consider uh, the selves, themselves to be not so much as, yeah, I agree with them on some things or I don't agree with them on others, but more like I see myself as diametrically opposed 
to this individual. And when you look, I think it's easier to look specifically at Biden voters and Trump voters, which is why I said, let's pull them from the parties that they're a part of um, and see how much of a difference we think they made in the election, as well as do, do you guys think, I mean, polarization, do you think people splitting along party lines in a hardcore way is something that's going to continue to get worse as a result of this election or do you think there's going to be some kind of shift um in uh in party affiliation so for example there's a lot of people that think trump losing this election and talking already about potentially running in 2024 is going to fracture the republican party absolutely and so you might see something that happens kind of like in 2010 when the Democrats got a supermajority in the House and in the Senate, along with Obama, um, there was the rise of the Tea Partiers. And that was, you know, people like Ted Cruz and other things like that. You started to see a lot of these people gain offices. And they were more right than Republicans before them had really been. Um, the uh, the Paul Ryan-led Senate, if you will, would be considered more more right than the John Boehner Senate before that. And so people are wondering if the same thing is going to happen too with the, you're kind of already seeing it in the Democratic Party, right? With like the Bernie, the hardcore Bernie supporters in 2016 who were like never Clinton. Um, a number of them, uh, I believe, went on to both Gary Johnson and some even to Trump. Um, and then uh, you're, you're, you're seeing a potential fracturing within the Republican Party coming for 2024 as well uh with support for trump and other candidates so i'm wondering if, if you guys think that that polarization is really uh going to have a substantial impact going forward or if it's actually going to start dying down yeah so back to the original aspect of the trump for voters versus biden voters i think it was a tenfold impact on this election i mean a lot of people were called to action just because they were anti-trump um in this last election and a lot of people that may have felt sure of the direction we were going maybe on the Republican side were called to action because of the whole Sleepy Joe conversation um, and kind of the back and forth that went there so I definitely think there was a tenfold impact based on those people that were so divided based on the party lines uh, that really played into this election I would hope in future elections um, like you said Trump's planning on running in 2024 let's hope he doesn't get the Republican um, nomination there that's fine, but I I would think when we get back to a more political aspect of debate and there's a different tone out of the White House and control that maybe in future, future elections it might die down a little bit as it gets more to the actual governance rather than the spectacle um, that we've gone through for the last four years. Obviously, I'm putting some of my personal identifications and leanings out there in the open right now. Um, but I think as we move towards a more <laughs> political realm rather than the spectacle, that hopefully some of that will get squashed. But I definitely think there's always that danger of people acting just because they identify as Democratic or Republic Republican and not actually identifying the issues and the af the effects of the platforms that are running against each other. Just I'm red, so I'm voting red rather than I'm blue, so I'm voting blue. So I think there's a lot of bleed over. Um, I would hope that that gets squashed in the future. Um, but 
I I really can't forecast it not being somebody that's diehard political. I can agree with you on that one, Jake. But I, I mean, for me, I think it's more. We might see a th- like another group rising where like it is more like swing than it is right now. I mean, we saw it with what was it Wisconsin last time? How they went full red just because they wanted they wanted change and they liked what Trump was actually um, portraying. So they they wanted what they they liked him, and then they as you can see right now they didn't like what he was doing right now so they went blue so i i think there's going to be more of those kind of things coming around than there will be uh more of like what jordan was saying where people are going left and right it's going to be more of well how did this last person do did he do well enough for where i would actually either vote for him again and do his policies i guess outweigh uh the other person's policies on like good versus bad or more good versus the other guy's good policy. So that, that that's just the way I think I see it going. And I, I, to me, I can, I can actually agree with it. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm hopeful for. And that kind of brings up another point that I don't mean to derail you here, Jordan, at all, but kind of what your perception is, the fact that we saw the major battleground or swing states that we typically have to wait on and sit on in elections kind of shift this year and how much do you think that's going to play out in future years as well? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Um, and yeah, I'll get to that one as well. Cause I think that's, that's definitely worth diving into. Um, the, the interesting part about this one is I see the polarization getting worse. So based on the trends, uh, as well as based on the respondents from (laughs) specifically Trump and Biden voters, these numbers actually, more than anything else, are what concern me the most of any of the stats or any of the data we could talk about today. If, if you walk away with anything, please walk away remembering these figures. So when asked if they share core American values, Trump supporters, this is Trump and Biden supporters. Okay. Both of them, both groups of the subsets of the parties they represent. So Democrats, did they, did they ask other group members too, or was it just the two? They, so these questions get asked, but they filter them specifically on those who also are more like, I am here for this candidate instead of just like, I am a Democrat. Right. There is an actual good answers to it. It's just more bias. So, well, there's essentially you have multiple answers, right? You're trying to find Mm -hmm. answers for every different demographic you're looking to study. So there's, there's no compromising of, of the data, right? They're just trying to fact find. Okay. So the respondents answered, they were given several options. The two opposing options were not only do we have different priorities when it comes to politics, but we fundamentally disagree about core American values. That's one response. The next is we have different positions when it comes to politics, but we share a fundamental commitment to the same core American values. Now, Biden voters answered that 
80% of the respondents that were asked, a clear majority, stated that they have different priorities on politics and they have fundamental disagreements with Trump voters about American core values and our ideals. 18% said that they have different priorities on politics, but a fundamental commitment to the same values. Do we Less, have a region on where these were? This is, is national. Like, this is just national. This is There's national. No, like, so I, I can't. This is across the out, whole like, country. Which, but I can't find out like which regions are like that 18% kind of is. There may be a substantial breakdown from the respondency, <laughs> but that's not what I that's not what I have uh, pulled up. Aww. So we may I be able to look know. into that further. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Pew has some some more breakdowns of the data as well. Trump voters asked the same questions. Seventy-seven percent of them said, "Not only do we have different priorities, but we also view core American fundamental." Uh, values differently. A slightly better number, 22% said they have different priorities, but share fundamental commitment to core American values. So what bothers me is that this shows less than one in five on both sides, a difference of 80% and 77% to Biden and Trump voters respectively say that they fundamentally disagree about core American values. So not only are we disagreeing about candidates, but super majorities in both of these subsets view the other party as harmful to the country, not just on an opposing side from them, but we're talking about existential crisis levels of we 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 literally view the fabric of this country as different from each other and again to reiterate this is biden voters and trump voters specifically that's exactly what i want to dive into is how it's much not, if we were to go back and look at the same questions in a right previous uh, after a previous administration how much of this doing is because of the tone we've had coming out of the white house rather than the actual effects of any of the policyholders and anything like that. Well, and I would also like to know, uh, ask, ask the same questions to the same people, like, say, a year later, too. Because I, obviously, you can definitely tell that everybody is being divided right now just for the sole fact is they want their side to win. Right, and the, but, like I said, the tone right. out of the White House has been, the other guy is bad, the other guy is bad, uh -huh. this is wrong for you. And it's been a back and forth the now, entire time he's been in office. And I also want to know is, um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. I want to know is um, what are each side's core values? T to me, that kind of is important because I, I mean, my core values are different than Jake's and Jordan's. So I, if there is a so-called right core value and neither of them see it as their core value, I kind of would like to know just because I mean, I, they could both be going down completely wrong paths. But I, 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 I to me, that's interesting because I would actually like to know what that is, um, where these people are, uh, other other sides of like the story and stuff like that. Yeah, these. All right. So these are these are really good, 
responses and questions, guys. I'm uh, very appreciative for those responses. So there actually is um, there is uh, trending data from the past, and the reason the reason I state first of all before we get into the other stuff why this concerns me is because I've been following political polarization itself as a topic for a while, and it has classically trended worse. Uh, specifically over the last 20, 30 years, polarization has become more noticeable. And over time, it's become much more stark in terms of you you can compare graphs uh, election over election, year over year in polarization. And the divides aren't like, oh, you have to calculate and see, oh, yeah, there is a trend here developing. They're, they're so visually stark when you look at them graphed uh, in individual format that there's no question. You don't even have to you don't even have to look at the numbers as, as a layman. You can look at that graph and say, wow, this is definitely pulling away at either side. And so my concern from this comes from because because we've we've been more or less conditioned right and i think media agencies like cnn and fox and others are, are responsible for a lot of this in, in mainstream media wikipedia. i think there's um wikipedia that's an interesting one. Oh yeah they're totally gets both sides um there well internet sources themselves too right uh have, have their own share of bias we can't just put all the blame on a cnn or a fox right but the the split between people it has grown over time and i look at i look at candidates like bush and gore in 2000 bush and Kerry, um obama and romney even in 2012 more recently but then you just look at the divide four years later and the rhetoric and the way things have been kind of amped up um you saw it more from trump in 2016 right and less overtly from clinton she reminded me a little bit more in the debates that they had of of an older style candidate. But then you see it in 2020 where Trump and Biden, especially in that first debate, were both kind of just getting into the mud on it, right? I wonder if the influence, and I feel that the influence from a lot of these different things that people are seeing, because national broadcast uh stations like nbc abc they still get tons of viewership they still get tons of viewership so when people see these these media centers they see their officials their leaders conducting themselves in this way hitting on these same stories over and over again over years and years and years and it breeds this kind of mentality in people i wonder into austin to your point i wonder how that that effect stands right over time i don't know that it necessarily goes away when you ask somebody a year from now i don't know that a lot of the frustration and anger that leftists have had over the last four years just goes away any more than what i think is going to happen amongst uh people farther right is going to just go away by the time 2022 or 2024 comes around and I wonder if, you know, people talk like civil war and Nazis and fascism and communism and all this other stuff. Oh, and a lot of that, I, I feel a lot of that, a lot of that, I feel has been blown out of proportion, per se. 
But I wonder is at what point, if there is a point, do we come to a part where we're we're really we're really a nation in name only, not not only from how we live and how we view each other, but really in how we conduct ourselves. I mean, for example, in the state ballots, two states had issues related to abortion, right? Colorado and Louisiana. Colorado struck down a proposition, uh, I believe it was 22 weeks. Uh, after 22 weeks of pregnancy, you could not terminate. That was proposed. Uh, they struck that down in Colorado. Uh, however, in Louisiana, there was uh, wording that was to be added to, I believe, was the state constitution uh, regarding abortion and that there were essentially not provided protections, uh, financial or otherwise, uh, in in relation to abortion itself. Now, is Louisiana the state that says women don't have rights over their own body, or is that another southern state? Well, there's several states that I think okay. you could make that argument for. But on the one that was like popular most recently for it, it was one of the southern states. I can't remember which one though. Not that I'm aware of. I'd have to, I'd have to look into it. Okay. Um, which yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, but but it's interesting because like Roe v. Wade was passed in '73, right? And nationally the majority of people are more in supportion uh in supportion in support of abortion rights so <clears throat> you know like pro choice is a, is just a nationally more popular opinion it just is it's just a fact uh not saying you should or shouldn't support one side but it just that's the truth and when i see issues like that in 2020 where state lines really determine a lot of your political affiliation, your <clears throat> views on core value issues, right? Like right to life, pro-choice, views on family, things like that. And there are breakdowns, Austin, you were asking about core values. There are breakdowns on uh, what people consider those to be as well uh, that we can talk about at another time. But um, when, when there's a fundamental breakdown in that stuff, Who's to say that there's not a fundamental breakdown in how we view the Constitution itself, right? In different interpretations of the Bill of Rights, aside from how they are factually stated, when not being interpreted by lawyers but by citizens, is an interesting case. But I think it could also be potentially dangerous if it gets to that stage where you see more and more people taking up the legal documents of the land making their own assessment on it and then kind of deciding, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to support this viewpoint or this, um, you know, this candidate's viewpoint or whatever else without any consideration for the other party or another opinion, because I'm just diametrically opposed to them. I'm just on the other side of them and I have to be against them because if I'm not, it's going to, it's going to destroy the country. It's going to harm the country. Just this mentality that everybody is out there on the other side is out there to get you in your side. Um, I don't. It, it seems very dangerous to me, and I, I feel like it's it's a serious problem that we might be in the midst of <clears throat> uh, an actual kind of like underground revolution that may boil up, and people uh, may not necessarily take it seriously. 
so if if it if an underground revolution were to happen, would would um do you, do you see more of it coming from one side, or do you see it coming from like I guess splinter cells from both sides to create this new one? Well, <clears throat> I mean, and that that's the real question, right? I don't know that it comes from either side. Who's to say? You know, and this this you know, I'm not trying to promote conspiracy or anything like that, but <laughs> who's to who's to say that an influence or a catalyst uh, for something like that doesn't come from a completely outside actor, right? I think less people here in the U.S. want there to be potential of civil strife or <clears throat> you know, we call it civil war or whatever, but civil strife in general um, over a foreign actor, right? not saying that there's a ton of Russiagate shit going on and stuff like that. I mean, we a lot of that was debunked. We already had the Mueller reports and stuff. All that stuff came through. <clears throat> um, so I'm, I'm not out here crying Russia, Russia, Russia on anything. But that doesn't mean that we don't have foreign enemies and we don't have foreign adversaries that wouldn't like to be able to take advantage of avenues and channels that exist today that haven't existed um, at the levels that they did before this election, the previous election, right? And as time goes on and more people have smart devices and smart home devices and, you know, you have your front door controlled by a ring doorbell and you get an, you get an electronic door lock and, like, you, you don't touch anything in your home anymore. It just all turns on and it's all sterile and clean. Like, <clears throat> as technology advances like this and there's more avenues for people to get constant information bombardment, right, and constant misinformation bombardment, as well um on top of the feelings that they already have on top of polarization that's gotten worse over time it makes me wonder if 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 you know and again i'd like to hear what you guys think on this uh if there's the real possibility in the next decade or so right i mean especially as we see income disparity continuing to increase um they talk about how the economy is already a year ahead of schedule and recovering how much of that is a gig economy, right? How much of that is people not making shit, not getting benefits? I mean, we already saw Proposition California around um, employees versus uh, uh, contractors, independent contractors, contractors yeah. in, in California yep. with Uber and Lyft. And we saw that that measure did not pass. Uh, or it did pass, actually. Did, did. Uh, Protected uh, it, in, yeah. fa in favor of the companies. And... You have to wonder how long how long can those types of things go on, those types of processes go on where we talk about how GDP is great, the economy is great, and it's like, what do these measures really mean to actual people in our country? What do these what do these measures really mean to people who are politically charged, who are negatively politically charged towards people on the other side, as well as those who, who might not they're not making a ton of money, they're not getting a lot of benefits. They're doing work and essentially getting getting treated for the bottom barrel and i'm not even talking about the morals and ethics of it right i'm not i'm not sitting here saying it's morally right or morally wrong for a company to want this or want or want that versus you know paying benefits or having contractors or employees but how long do you think that kind of system works in which those people eventually are just like i make 25k a year i can't pay off my student loan i can't pay for my mortgage i can't pay my rent without living with nine other people that i hate um, I don't have any benefits or health insurance or coverage or any or anything. 
the only thing I own is my car and it's beat to shit because I have to drive it around to take all these people. How, how long do you have that many millions of people working in a gig economy like that before they just end up losing their, some of them end up losing their minds. Right. And then suddenly you have a strike back either both politically and potentially physically against people who are in the other 50% of the economy who are doing well, who are making that money, who are living fine, having their families, whatever else paying for everything without a problem. I mean, you know, we had we had the highest voter turnout in 120 years per capita, right? Obviously, our population is a lot higher than it was in 1900. But I'm so glad you addressed that. <laughs> you know, yeah, some people some people would fact check that and be like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" No yeah, way. okay, boomer. But uh, but right, <laughs> you're telling me what now? But but how how much of that political action? And this this is getting further into something else that I've spent a lot of time studying, which is terrorism. But most people who get involved, like a lot of people think terrorists are just insane, right? Most people who take that avenue of action only do it after they have exhausted all the legitimate means of action available to them in their system, in their country. Is do you guys think there's the potential, especially with a, a more conservative court, um, a gridlocked uh, U.S. government we're about to see in a time when we're in the middle of a pandemic, we still have a lot of people on unemployment on a furlough. We have to remember that those numbers for un, uh, unemployment don't consider the amount of people who have lost jobs that stop looking for work. So those numbers are always off. And the fact that we've got a January deadline for expiration on things like student loan payments that we have over a trillion dollars on as a country, mortgages and rents, all kinds of other uh, moratoriums that are going to be pulled. With a timeline I that mean, we're predicting a worsening in the current pandemic, too. Right, right. And we also, yeah, we also have expectations that this is going to get worse before it gets better. It's already getting worse. I think we're up to 230,000 deaths now. Yeah. So uh, say. Which is which would be thirty thousand more since the last time I pulled up the numbers, <laughs> right. and it wasn't that long. States ago are setting new daily up. positivity rates too. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean breaking records that we were already breaking, and and we're not even like fully into winter yet. Not even close. Like most of the states yeah. have been getting unseasonably high, so it's not like you're getting into f like super deep into the flu side of things yet either. Right. Right. I mean, like personally, my state I believe is still the worst in the country. One of the worst in the one world. One of, definitely. For increasing. Oh, yeah, I don't like what, Badgers. What, like a top five hotspot in the world of Wisconsin. Come on, get it together, guys. And gals. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, but but you, you look at all these different things combined, and you just you just think, like, I, I look at, like, a Trump, and I don't think he's really going to do much for the people. Maybe another stimulus, something like that. I look at a Biden. I don't really see him doing much. I mean, he's made promises, but... He's had a 40-year-long career where I don't think he's done a ton of positive stuff, um, with some exceptions. Got to give him some credit for some things. But what I mean is, I mean, do you do you guys see the potential for people to start taking matters into their own hands, where they reach a level of desperation, a level of poverty? Where they, they just feel like they have nothing to lose. And we start seeing 
a domestic conflict develop out of this that I think a lot of people are either ignoring or just not considering as, as realistic. I mean, historically, we've seen that in our nation's history before anyways. So I think there's always that inherent risk if you take everything that we've endured through the year they call 2020, which seems like it's been an eternity, I can definitely see that formulating if things don't start to recover or change and we continue down the path of the gig economy, like you say, I definitely think there is that inherent risk of some type of revolt or some type of individual or group trying to take some type of action. I'm going to have to agree with Jake on that one. I Also, I, I think I see more people reevaluating a lot of things in their life, whether it becomes with their trust within certain um, social norms or just certain norms in general, uh, like the whole what debt-based economy. I see a lot of people not going for that anymore because, well, they just had their job taken away and the whole being able to always keep borrowing, borrowing, borrowing and paying off, then they're not able to do it anymore. They're not going to trust that system. So they're going to go and do something else. And I, I see a lot of other people doing that. I, I see them doing it today as well. That they're, they're starting to shy away from certain things that would be considered norm around this time. So I, I think going on in, into the future, uh, the way kids are going to be raised, the way we are, we're going to come out of this is going to be completely different than what it was going into it. That That is if we don't already have like a giant up, like uprising or something along those lines. If it does go back to what we can, I guess, call a normal. Yeah, that's interesting, and I agree with you both, although I think it's going to be a lot a lot more subtle, and the reason I asked it in such an extreme way before was just, just to gauge where you guys were before I kind of showed my own cards on what I feel on this, but, um, and the reason I think it's going to be more subtle is because we're already seeing, and we'll, we'll get into something a little more positive right after this, I promise, uh, to kind of close things out, but um, the some of the state ballot initiatives, so... Trump took Florida by a pretty healthy percentage difference, right? So he he clearly won the state. However, I don't know if you guys looked into the ballot measures, but yes. Florida also passed, and this is why I'm saying a lot of progressive measures and progressive supporting issued candidates are getting shown a lot of love by their constituents. Florida passed by 61%, I believe, an initiative to raise their minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2026. Didn't that's California do the same thing with the same time? Or no, it was uh, 2022, I think. Correct. They they already yeah. passed that though. That was right. Yeah, but I'm but it's, yeah, but it's, and it's not supposed to take effect right away. It's supposed to gradually increase over time. Correct. Same thing with Florida to 2026. Oh, okay, cool. So, a state that voted Trump and a pretty decent margin also voted on a Bernie Sanders issue by a supermajority. If you look at the candidates who supported, with it, especially running for their seats, who supported Medicare for All, every single one of them won their seat. Every single one won their seat back. States, uh, five states, and this is where we're getting into some of the ballot initiatives that are more positive, right? So we had South Dakota, New Jersey, Montana, and Arizona all legalize recreational use of marijuana. Uh -huh. 
Oregon is has legalized or decriminalized all drugs all in small them. amounts. All, all drugs in small amounts. What about air? I mean, you know, I've been to a couple of oxygen know. bars, man. I'll tell you, it's a good ah. time. But um, <laughs> try, try it out at uh, at your at your own risk or reward. It's uh, I think it's I have worth tried it in Colorado. Some good Colorado <laughs> oxygen. Oh, it's the best at it's high altitude. Shit. Oh, but yeah. um, I mean, you've got you've got states that have passed, and those aren't all. Those are just a few examples. Well, wasn't, but, isn't there only like a few states now that actually have um, weed as criminalized still? Uh, so as of right now, I 15? believe 11 have them fully legalized recreationally. Mm -hmm. And then there's a number that also have like decriminalization of it. They also right. have um, like medical use, whatever else. I believe we're down to less than half of the, the country that actually has uh, uh no recreational use because uh, I, I did see, I did yeah, see I thought it was like 15 or 20 states that were left yeah. that didn't have it as recreational yeah, I want to say well, 15 I'm leaning heavy because I'm not sure the exact number but I know it's not more than 25 yeah. I did see a map that stated like how each state viewed it and there was only I think like around maybe three or so that actually um, didn't even have it up for uh, medical use yet so I mean that's good yeah yeah, and so, I, mean, I mean, we're almost there as a, as a full country um, legalizing it for medical use. Right, right. And um, <clears throat> this brings this brings me back to like when the race was first starting. I mean, for those for those who don't know. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a Bernie. I was a Bernie uh, Sanders supporter. I supported him in 2016 as well. Voted for him in the primary. It's no secret amongst people who know me. I agree with his issues. Right. Um, sure it wasn't his know, hair. I, I promise I'm not a communist. I promise I'm not some kind of <laughs> freak. Trust me, I'm not. And I well, don't want your. You are, I, but I not swear because to God, that. I don't want your guns either. So don't even come to me with that shit. The last thing I want. <laughs> There's a bunch of strangers' weapons piled up in my fucking house. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I mean, as somebody who's classically been more progressive at heart, but politically identified more. As an independent who's moderate but leans left, um, you know, around around 2012 when Obama was running the second time, and a lot of the whole like, oh my gosh, you know, maybe he'll actually be like an, a new FDR and he'll actually kind of change around a lot of stuff and protect us from you know garbage policies that led to the 2008 financial crisis. Once all the the glitter of that wore off, and I was like, oh, this guy sucks too. <laughs> um, I was like, you know, let's let's look at candidates who who actually support the issues that I've long believed in, but wasn't always on the on the side of like these are feasible, right? And I started really diving into it all and looking into like what's what's the sustainability of a lot of the stuff, what's the feasibility of it? And for a lot of these initiatives, we have the money, we have the ability, um, but it's something that's been campaigned on in a way where. Again, people were saying, oh, Bernie couldn't possibly beat a Trump, right? But his issues beat him even in red states. I mean, when you looked at every 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 key battleground area that Bernie Sanders would have had to win if he had gotten the nomination, he probably would have beaten Trump by pretty wide margins when you look at the data. And when you consider the fact that a lot of progressive state-level moves have been made, 
around drugs, around pay. Um, <clears throat> and there's been some backtracking again, California with the gig economy issues. Um, there's been a substantial move by voters to acknowledge that things like healthcare for themselves that don't involve them having to work with their insurance provider or make sure their doctors in network or any of that bullshit are actually kind of standing up and saying, Hey, we're going to start showing with our ballot initiatives. We're going to start showing at the state level that these are the things we support. Right. And I'm, I'm hopeful because of that, <clears throat> even though, and I, I think it's a, it's, it's a reason that we're seeing so much of the polarization is that I think people are splitting along the lines of, look, majority of us support these issues and we're not going to apologize for it anymore. We're not going to compromise with you on them anymore. We see these as critical healthcare, educational access, the environment, things like that are becoming more and more popular as time is going on. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you guys recall, but when, um, <clears throat> uh, Paul Ryan was still speaker of the house for the Republicans, and Trump's administration was trying to essentially kill the ACA. The the videos that were getting put on the news on YouTube of people that were just absolutely, I mean, screaming. These And these were small, rural, conservative towns screaming at their reps that if, if they pulled the ACA and their coverage from pre-existing conditions, that they could bet their asses would be out of office as quick as possible. I mean, they had Republican majorities, and they couldn't they couldn't get the ACA pulled because their constituents were like, "You bet you'll be gone." And we've, we're seeing it with the Democrats now. A lot of the blue dogs are getting who lo who lost their seats were people who were against issues like Medicare for all. So when we're seeing these issues become more popular, not only amongst the left but also amongst Republicans as as a whole. I think that's why we start to look at the polarization in a different way. Maybe it's not that maybe the reason we're seeing a disagreement in the core values is because we're changing our core values, right? It's not necessarily that we're diametrically opposed in a way where it's like, oh my goodness, these are the core values and we can't agree on them so much as it is. These were the core values. Maybe some people hold those values, but these are, the up and coming core values to replace those and more and more people, <clears throat> uh, you know, and it's evidenced by the votes and by the margins they're winning at more and more people are seeing new core values as being important. And I don't think it necessarily is at the cost of previous core values so much as they're saying, look, these things are already mainstays, right? Like families are important. Protecting equal rights is important. Freedom of speech is important. Those are codified though. We need to be focusing on stuff that's actually affecting us today. And I think that's where kind of the, the silver lining in this uh, comes up. So I'm, I'm, you know, final thoughts. I'm interested to know what you guys think about that, because I feel like the state ballot initiatives were really actually the ray of sunshine in this election when there's been everybody focused about the president and the Senate and the House. And then I look at, you know, what all what all these states are doing and what they've continued to do and they're doing in some cases in huge majorities and i get reassured that the um the state level candidates are actually doing doing some good 
uh, and the the voters are to be trusted. So I'm curious to know what you guys think about that. Hmm. Well, if uh, if what you're saying is true about <laughs> everything, uh, whereas our core values are actually changing, and that uh, people are dropping certain th- aspects for uh, for other things, then I think that's ultimately good. Uh, whether or not it is going to be good, well, we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, it it does bring a little bit of hope back. I think what's interesting about it is kind of like you said, Jordan, is that the the state initiative are the things that are more more or less impactful for the long term. And I think that's been a fight that people have been trying to get people to recognize, especially we've had a lot of high-profile elections, um, at least in our generation and our time kind of moving forward with Obama and whatnot. I think a lot of the focus as far as people that are really invested in the political process has been kind of activating those people to understand that it doesn't just start at the White House. There's a lot of a lot of incentives and initiatives within your local government that really make the long-term changes and effects to the best benefit the voter. Um, so I think we're hopefully maybe this is a sign that we're starting to see that and actualize that and realizing that, hey, if we can make the voice heard here locally and we put people in power that are actually going to um, kind of mimic and express that opinion um, at the higher levels, then we can slowly start to make progressive change moving forward. So I like how you kind of encased it as the, the silver lining of the election, and I hope that's a trend that continues to move forward. And the thing that people got to make sure of is that those local votings and passings don't just happen during a general election for president. Um, those happen much more frequently um, and, and on different rotations. So if you can keep your ear to the ground and make sure that you're you're influencing that as you see fit, um, I think that really benefits everybody and the country in the long run. Interesting. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, it's it's good to get other opinions on that because it's something. I mean, as you guys know, I'm a huge nerd for this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm all over it, and um, you know, as I was looking for the uh, the ballot initiatives throughout the week, and I was kind of just waiting for the results to come in and waiting for them to get announced. Um, <clears throat> you know, my my view and my picture kind of of where things are going took a big change. So it's. Uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 a little bit refreshing to see that the the states are kind of just moving to the point, uh, you know, slowly but surely, but um, moving nonetheless towards uh, establishing some new norms and setting up protections that I think are going to be best for the majority of people. So, you know, it's um, <clears throat> it's definitely some stuff I plan to hop into further, and we can talk about another time as well when we have a. Uh, more data and more stuff going on, but uh, I'll definitely be taking a deep dive into a lot more of these uh, states' demographics in the next uh, few months and year. 